Previously on Flying the Line, ALPA's Political Action Committee becomes a necessity as the association confronts the adverse effects of deregulation, recession, and the Lorenzo Wars. This podcast is brought to you by the Airline Pilots Association. ALPA supports its pilots through a variety of resources, including free access to aeromedical doctors for eligible members. The Aviation Medical Advisory Service can answer your aviation-related medical questions free of charge, helping you stay certified and on the flight deck. Visit alpaorg resources for more information and where to call. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association, a bridge from the book Flying the Line, Volume 2, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 13, The Origins of the Continental Strike. Lorenzo Prepares His Blitzkrieg, Part 1. The pilots of Continental Airlines faced a host of challenging circumstances in 1983, not the least of which was CEO Frank Lorenzo. The Reagan administration encouraged an anti-labor climate while internal divisions marred the continental pilot's sense of community, and the national economy was still suffering from the steep economic slide of the early 1980s. It's been said that when the economy catches cold, the airline industry gets pneumonia. Because of government regulation before 1978, airline employees had been less vulnerable to the consequences of hard times than workers in other industries, but Frank Lorenzo planned to change that. Until 1980, he had to proceed cautiously because Jimmy Carter, although not as friendly to organized labor as previous Democratic presidents, might make trouble. Lorenzo also had to be wary of ALPA's influence with Congress and the regulatory agencies before 1980. ALPA's campaign against Lorenzo's alter-ego airline, New York Air, justified his caution. ALPA's resistance to New York Air and to his 1981 takeover of Continental forced Lorenzo to spend millions in legal fees. Accustomed to easier victories in his fights against the Texas International pilots, Lorenzo received rough handling from the Continental pilots and bore them an obvious grudge. Continental's Dennis Duffy ALPA's executive vice president between 1982 and 1984 understood the seriousness of the problem. However, the Continental pilots were determined to fight. Throughout 1981, they mounted a strenuous lobbying campaign to block Lorenzo in both the California legislature and in Congress. They sought unsuccessfully to have Congress outlaw the leveraged buyout financial scheme Lorenzo used to launch New York Air and acquire Continental. During the 1980s, Lorenzo would circulate in the same financial circles as Ivan Boski and Michael Milken, Wall Street sharks who would later go to prison for their crimes. Both Boski and Lorenzo were honored guests at Milken's 1986 celebration in Los Angeles for their creative use of junk bonds. New York Air owed its existence to this new form of financing expansion through debt. 
by injecting a non-union airline into the heart of America's most heavily unionized industry, Lorenzo whetted the appetites of Wall Street sharks who saw the newly deregulated industry as vulnerable. Put simply, if the assets of an airline were worth more, separately, than the cumulative value of its stock, this new breed of financial buccaneers would borrow to buy it and sell off its assets piecemeal, often to subcontractors who would not respect existing union contracts. These corporate raiders would then pay off their lenders and pocket the difference. The catastrophic effect of leveraged buyouts on employees bothered neither the Lorenzos of this era nor the Reagan administration. In the name of maximizing shareholder value, they would tolerate putting long-term employees on the street. New York Air, with its Apple call sign and logo, was the first bitter fruit of deregulation and an indication of the leveraged buyout menace. It began flying on December 19, 1980, barely a month after Ronald Reagan's election. New York Air had a long gestation, partly because Alpha and its labor allies fought it so hard since its filing with the Civil Aeronautics Board that August, and partly because other airline managements joined the legal challenge, although not for the same reasons. Because of the controversy over his runaway shop airline, Lorenzo postponed its debut until after Ronald Reagan, for whom Lorenzo had been an active fundraiser, won the election in November 1980. We must remember that an explicit element of the Reagan Revolution was a promise to bring special interests like big labor to heel. Lorenzo saw himself as the point man for this aspect of Reagan's crusade. New York Air was a straightforward attempt to undermine Eastern's East Coast shuttle operation. The only innovation Lorenzo brought to this project was low wages, to be accomplished through a non-union workforce. Because he assembled New York Air largely from the internal resources of TXI, Lorenzo knew he would encounter opposition from the entire national apparatus of organized labor. But he also knew that an Achilles heel was present in all this, the airline pilots themselves. Many observers believed that the only chance the pilots had to stop New York Air was a type of scorched-earth policy. If in the beginning, TXI's pilots had taken the risky step of an immediate strike, with Alpa paying their full salaries, Lorenzo might have blinked. By going on strike, the pilots would have shut TXI down at a crucial stage, depriving the Texas Air Corporation of the revenues that were key to Lorenzo's ability to borrow. By fully supporting such a strike financially, Alpa might have sufficiently unnerved Lorenzo's financial backers to dry up the lending he needed to sustain New York Air's early operations. During the Continental Strike, Alpa would pay strike wages equivalent to the salaries Lorenzo was offering scabs. Such a tactic, applied early against New York Air, would have demonstrated Alpa's resolve. The basis for this strike would have been that by peeling off DC-9 aircraft from the TXI fleet, repainting them with New York Air colors, and crewing them with non-Alpa pilots hired strictly for that purpose, 
Lorenzo was violating the TXI pilot's scope clause. From the beginning of his tenure at TXI, Lorenzo had made a mockery of his pilot's labor contract. He would routinely violate it and then challenge the pilots to file grievances. The grievance process is time-consuming and expensive. When applied vindictively to wear down a small pilot group, the cumulative effect can be devastating. Also, J.J. O'Donnell had concluded, following the Wien Air fiasco, that strikes were ineffective. He much preferred litigation to direct action, and TXI's pilots, shell-shocked from their repeated confrontations with Lorenzo in the late 1970s, agreed. So, the pilots would wage no scorched-earth strike over New York air. Lorenzo had won his early confrontations with the TXI pilot group hands down, and he knew that with the weak economy, the Continental pilots were also unlikely to resort to a strike. Lorenzo knew how to manipulate pilots, using techniques that would have been familiar to Alpha pilots a generation earlier. Pioneer airline bosses understood their pilots' managerial mentality, and they knew that given the slightest evidence of good faith, pilots would quickly join forces to build an airline, sometimes working themselves to death in the process. Lorenzo had little else in common with the Pioneer Airline founders, but he was an expert at faking good faith, and he understood that people who fly the line want to believe in management. Lorenzo was a smooth practitioner of the Lucy Syndrome. Lucy, the character in the comic strip Peanuts, would invariably swear she would not move the football when Charlie Brown tried to kick it. She kept promising, he kept believing, and she kept jerking the football away. Lorenzo would violate agreements and then turn on his legendary smooth talk to charm pilots with new promises. Then, like Lucy, he would jerk the football away. The TXI pilots eventually figured Lorenzo out, but when desperate action became necessary in the New York air case, they simply lacked the stomach for it. Instead of striking, The TXI pilots waged a lengthy slowdown, called in sick well past the limit permissible under their contract, and challenged New York Air in court for violating the scope clause of their contract. Lorenzo sued over the sick in, won every round in court, and thrashed Alpa solidly. New York Air would survive every challenge until Lorenzo folded it into Continental after the strike thus proving that the airline was, as Alpa had always maintained, merely an anti-union corporate shell. When the crisis at Continental emerged in August 1983, the stresses of merging still affected the pilot group. Continental's pilots were determined to preserve their contract from Lorenzo's bullying, and their new TXI colleagues had every reason to support them. Because Lorenzo had targeted his pilots, he became a close student of what made them tick. He had to know that the factors that made pilots formidable when united would soon emerge to limit his options at Continental. In fact, the process of fence-mending among Continental's pilots made good progress. Neither the old Continental pilots nor the TXI newcomers were fools, 
they knew that unity was a must when dealing with Lorenzo. They were also professionals who understood that mergers were an unavoidable consequence of the modern airline industry. Like other professional airline pilots at other airlines in other times, the pilots of Continental and TXI would put aside their differences and get on with the business of flying the line. Frank Lorenzo's challenge was to keep his pilots off balance while he maneuvered to destroy their contract. Continental MEC Chair Larry Baxter was tough, intelligent, and far from naive about Lorenzo. He moved rapidly to devise a counter-strategy and fought an excellent delaying campaign that thwarted Lorenzo for many months. Had it not been for the timing of events, Baxter might have succeeded. The story begins with the ill-fated Prosperity Plan, Lorenzo's highly touted opening gambit. Continental's pilots knew that the airline was in precarious financial condition even before the advent of Frank Lorenzo and the merger with TXI. This financial weakness was at least partially responsible for the failed Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. Desperate to block Lorenzo's takeover of their ailing carrier, Continental's unionized employees, under the leadership of Paul Eckel, a management pilot widely respected by the airline's pilots, launched the first serious effort at an employee buyout in the airline industry's history. Lorenzo, who seriously worried that the ESOP might succeed, fought it bitterly, using his influence to discourage potential ESOP lenders. With the collapse of Eccles' ESOP effort at Continental in April 1981, Lorenzo's takeover became inevitable. On April 24, 1981, in his capacity as chair of Continental's board, Bob Six denounced Lorenzo's junk bond method of acquiring Continental. He asserted that the merger proposal would create a company so overburdened with debt that it would be unfair to the employees. In essence, Lorenzo would be asking the airline's employees to help pay for the purchase of Continental. Six came from another era when some degree of fair play mattered in corporate boardrooms. To Frank Lorenzo, a representative of the new corporate ethic of the greed decade of the 1980s, Six's values were antiquated. So Lorenzo outmaneuvered everybody, acquiring control of one of the proudest names in airline history. He wasted no time in proving Bob Six a profit. Lorenzo would make his employees pay for their own airline. Lorenzo's initial target would be the International Association of Machinists. But before he took them on, Lorenzo needed to temporarily neutralize Alpa, hence the prosperity plan. Slipping into his smooth-talk persona, Lorenzo wooed Continental's pilots with promises of a golden future if they would only make sacrifices. By August 1982, he succeeded in wringing additional concessions out of a pilot group that had already made substantial givebacks. Then, the Lucy Syndrome kicked in. In January 1983, with the Prosperity Plan only recently in place, Lorenzo demanded additional concessions. Continental's pilots believed they had a deal with Lorenzo. 
But their $100 million give-back over a two-year period wasn't enough, Lorenzo said. Even though it gave him work rule concessions that resulted in some 400 furloughs and reductions in funding of the pilot's pension plan. MEC Chair Larry Baxter, who had played a crucial role in selling the prosperity plan to reluctant pilots, felt betrayed. In 1982 to 1983, two negotiating committees wrestled with Lorenzo's demands as they tried to find a way to save their airline without sacrificing their contract. After agreeing to the prosperity plan, Continental's pilots rolled up their sleeves and prepared to live with it. Then they discovered, just as the TXI pilots had warned them, that signed contracts meant nothing to Lorenzo. Phil Nash, an Alpa EVP at the time, called the prosperity plan an accommodation with the devil, a view shared by most rank-and-file pilots. Nash understood that Lorenzo's underlying purpose in negotiating the prosperity plan was to keep his pilots off balance while he destroyed the IAM, the same approach he had used at TXI. He offered the mechanics a raise if they would permit outsourcing their work to non-union shops. Naturally, the IAM resisted, for Lorenzo's plan would eventually lead to the layoff of about half their members. While he dragged out the IAM negotiations, Lorenzo feverishly trained replacement mechanics. Matters came to a head in August and September 1983. In the midst of his carefully laid plans to break the IAM while flying through a strike with his pilot's support, Lorenzo abruptly changed course. This change originated in Lorenzo's desperate need to service the enormous debt he had undertaken in the purchase of Continental, the debt Bob Six had warned about. Although Lorenzo claimed Continental was broke, its parent company, the Texas Air Corporation, boasted $288 million in cash, securities, and accounts receivable, with virtually no debt, according to his own filing with a bankruptcy court. It was a preview of the upstreaming technique Lorenzo would later use to strip Eastern's assets before the strike of 1989. Lorenzo's corporate shell game permitted him to shield assets in the Texas Air Corporation, while arguing that high labor costs were breaking the very companies that generated the cash he upstreamed to his holding company. But Lorenzo told the New York Times that debt wasn't his problem. High labor costs were. Next time on Flying the Line, Lorenzo uses the leverage of Chapter 11 to compel Continental pilots to make even more concessions. Thank you for listening. This has been Chapter 13, Part 1 of Flying the Line 2 by George E. Hopkins. Copyright 2000. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpha.org or find us on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association International. Production copyright alpha 2023, all rights reserved.